So everybody has their own Ishta Devata. That Devata that naturally attracts you. So you only travel to visit Devi temples, no? Why specifically Devi temples and not say a Shiva or a Krishna temple? It's how Devi attracts me. Yes, your Ishta Devata can change over a period of time, and I have had that experience. And when it was happening, I actually had a question in my mind: Will Krishna be unhappy with it? And you won't believe how the answer came. I see a lot of girls around my age who are now being drawn to studying about Devi, studying about Shakti. I, I wonder why that is. Tell me the girl perspective. We women have lot of inner Shakti, which in today's time I think we've forgotten about it, and we are not tapping into it. We are trying to be too masculine because we are trying to compete with men at a lot of levels. At the cost of that, is giving up our own femininity. the perspective of a guy studying more about devi and shakti is that you become less masculine in the right ways if i asked you why were you named ranveer uh, do you have an answer a sexy man name okay. <laughs> yeah yeah that's okay one it sounds good as a name i think my parents liked it and mm. most of us get named like this for random reasons i'm reading mahabharat and there are thousands of character in mahabharat not one is named randomly So one of our most requested genres on TRS is Indic culture, ancient Indian culture, ancient Indian architecture, the knowledge about temples, the knowledge about Hinduism. This is one of those conversations. Anuradha Goel has written multiple books on this subject. She's also traveled across the country for the sake of her research, and today she's on TRS presenting the best of her work. Enjoy the episode. You've been dominating the world of Twitter, ma'am. Now it's time for you to dominate the world of podcasts. How are you? I'm very good, and I'm very happy to meet you. uh i'm envious of you uh because of all the learning that you get from all the guests that you interact with the wide variety of guests that you interact with uh and can i give you a scriptural reference to it sure sure you know tetriya upanishad in its shikshavalli talks about a convocation address so this is a convocation address in a gurukul that a guru is giving to the passing out students and he tells them all life lessons that this is what you should do you know go out of this earn a lot of money uh produce children get married do this for society travel around whole lot of advice a very well rounded advice but with every sentence he says swadhyaye pravachanam cha which means keep doing swadhyay self learning and pravachanam sharing that self learning with everybody else okay so he says no matter what you do or what you don't do every day do swadhyay and do pravachan which means invest some time in learning and invest some time in sharing that learning with others so in our age and time you are doing exactly that uh-huh. you are doing this learning through oral tradition which is again the ancient tradition oral tradition is again you know how we used to learn so through an oral tradition you are doing your swadhyay and through this podcast you are also sharing it with others so i really really uh, uh 
I'm happy and envious of you that you are able to do it in such a beautiful way. I'm happy to be the target of your envy. If this is the kind of envy you're talking about. Right. I blame my ex-girlfriend for motivating me to do <laughs> for motivating me to do this. <laughs> Whatever happens happens for a good. Yeah, we we spoke on a phone call about two and a half years ago, maybe. and i wanted you on the show back then because i discovered your twitter account right and every time we've tried scheduling it something has come up and it's not worked out and here we are in 2023 speaking uh so i know that today is going to be some sort of a shift due to today's conversation uh so ma'am you have such a wide variety of subjects that you cover but specifically from the spiritual the occult the scriptural part i don't even know where to begin with you honestly So let me just actually uh, throw the ball to you and ask you uh, probably your one biggest personal shift that's been an outcome of everything that you've been studying. Uh, so uh, there's no one particular shift. So I was always inclined spiritually. I grew up with my grandmother, my dadi, and she was like every grandmother, very spiritual. She followed both Jainism and Hinduism. She used to. put a mu patti on her white mu patti and do her uh, namokar mantra she used to read gita every day so my initiation towards spirituality started then uh, but then i started computer science worked in it and everything uh and gradually i started traveling and writing about travel blogging about travel and that became a spiral you know so i would travel come back write and my readers would tell me 20 more things that i didn't see in that place so or 20 other things that i can explore so that became a spiral loop and you know over a period of time it became a huge repository of work and huge rep- but my travels started getting more and more focused uh so initially it was leisure travel weekend corporate uh, employee weekend leisure travel then i started looking at architecture then i started looking at you know history history then i went and did a course in indian art appreciation um at national museum institute in delhi and then i started it opened lot of windows for me you know to explore uh, various aspects of indian art history architecture so i started my travels getting started getting deeper and deeper and deeper finally they narrowed down to temples then they narrowed down to devi temples uh, you know a lot of things so that's how the focus kept coming um and from being a leisure traveler i somewhere became a pilgrim or you know attracted towards pilgrim or it's a very very natural transition so you only travel to visit devi temples no it's not that but i make sure that i try i visit the devi temples in whichever city or place i am in why specifically devi temples and not say a shiva or a krishna temple uh it's it's how devi attracts me okay. i say she makes me visit now i have in fact now i don't even plan travels they happen i don't uh-huh. plan travels they just happen but if i have to talk about one big transition point that happened that actually happened in ayodhya and uh, if i can narrate the whole incident sure. and it's mentioned in my book in detail so i was i mean i i have a travel blog uh, a bilingual travel blog that i published since 2004 called in details and i was on a media trip in sometime in 2015 16 on a media trip by up tourism and there were multiple itineraries that sent us we could choose from and only one itinerary had ayodhya in it and 2015 16 ayodhya temple was nowhere in the news 
uh, I opted for it and only me and two other European journalists had opted for this. So just three of us and there was only half day trip and it was clearly mentioned that you will not go to uh, Ram Janmabhoomi temple. It was only meant to visit Faizabad which is which has a lot of medieval structures and then uh, visit Ayodhya and visit some couple of temples, eat a meal in the ashram and come back to Lucknow. And I had signed up for it and I was prepared for it. Uh, so we first visited Faizabad and then from a place called uh, Guptar Ghat, uh, which is where Sri Ram took uh, Jal Samadhi. From there, we took a boat to go to Ayodhya. So Ayodhya uh, appeared to me from the waters of Saryu River. It just appeared slowly, the whole city and the skyline of the city, which is a beautiful skyline with all the ghats. It appeared before me. And once I was there, we visited a couple of temples, Kanak Bhavan Temple, Hanuman Gadi Temple. And then we were in an ashram uh, to have a meal. And we sat down on the floor, three of us and a couple of people who were assisting us. We sat down on the floor to have a meal on a patal, you know, the leaf. Had the meal... I don't know what it was, while whether it was because I was touching the bhumi of Ayodhya or it was spending that couple of hours in Ayodhya. But I said, I want to visit Ramjan Bhumi Temple. And they said, no, this was not planned. I said, I know it was not planned, but I have to visit. Then they said, no, you have two Europeans with you. It will be very difficult to take them. So I talked to them. They said, we are not interested. You can carry on. So I said, let me go it. You know, they were not very willing to. I mean, they had not signed for it. So I said, I don't know. But as I was talking, my resolve was getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So I eventually told them, you guys go back to Lucknow. I will visit. If I can visit it today, I will visit it today. Or I'll visit tomorrow morning. I'll make my way to Lucknow. You know, it's not a big deal. So eventually they gave in and they said, we'll take you said okay we went there we walked through the streets and we reached the entrance and at that point in time it was a well-guarded fortress I have never had such a stringent security check as I had at Ram Janmabhoomi place everything was taken you know even I had some coins in my wallet and they said remove that forget about anything else in front of me there was this rubble and on top of that a tent a very basic tent and inside the and Vigrahas of Rashri Ramlala, Ramlala, uh, Lakshman and Sita ji. I still clearly remember they were wearing purple Shringar that day. They were wearing purple clothes. And I had Ganga Jamuna from my eyes. I don't know where it came from. I knew everything about the place. But the moment you see them, you know, I said, this is the, this is the God we invoke every time we greet somebody. In North India, they still say Sita Ram, Sita Ram or Ram Ram. When somebody passes away, we say uh, Ram Nam Satya Hai. And the birthplace of that Sri Ram is like he's sitting in a malba, as we call in Hindi. You know, he's sitting on a rubble with, with not even a structure around him. Something happened to me. And I was crying. And Pandiji was probably, uh, you know, used to seeing this reaction from many people. So he just gave me a reassuring look and he gave me the prasad and I walked out. And when I walked out, I was completely blank. I had no, I have no recollection of what was around me. I just walked out. And when I came out in the streets, back in the street, I said, I'm going to come back and write about Ayodhya. I have to do something for Ayodhya, you know, I don't know. I have to come back and study the city in detail. That was just a result. I didn't know how it is going to manifest, how it is going to happen. 
and uh, and then it happened in i think 2018 that i uh, decided to go and be there and incidentally uh, ayodhya chot sansthan got in touch with me and they say we'll help you with any knowledge part in and we will have access to our library and everything i spent uh, i think a week or so there week 10 days there i studied skandapuran ayodhya mahatme which listed more than 55 odd uh, tirth sthalas within that place i mapped everything i came back and create recreated a map of ayodhya uh, and then ayodhya chot sansthan sansthan asked me to you know create a book out of it so i did a book for them called ayodhya mahatme this happened everything happened by 2018 19 uh, 19 the judgment came and in 19 uh, uh, the up government and ayodhya chot sansthan organized an event to celebrate uh, ram navmi i think so they invited me to speak on ram rajya so i was there talking to students of avad university and all that this was just the day before that tent was dismantled and i was there with uh, people like narendra kohli ji who written uh, modern day ramayana and mahabharat and we saw the last darshan we had of that place uh, before that in 2018 when i had visited i when i visited ram janmabhoomi again this time i was completely prepared i knew what i'm going to get you know what is there so i was like prepared for everything so i went in a very jovial mood and i was very happy studying an ancient place when i stood there at the same place where pandit ji gives prasad um i in a very lighter mood said pandit ji next time i come tell him that i want to see him in a temple i don't want to see him in a tent anymore ha huh? there was a black cat commando standing there it that place was completely full of them you know i don't know who he was his face was covered he just turned around and said मैडम मंदिर तो यहीं बनेगा एंड आई सेड यू आर टूडेज हनुमान इफ यू आर सेंग इट इट विल हैपन एंड बिलीव मी इट हैपन विद इन अयर हैट वॉज अ टर्निंग पॉइंट फॉर मी यू नो एंड मच लेटर मच लेटर इन टू थाउजेंड ट्वेंटी ट्वेंटी वन ट्वेंटी वन आई थिंक आई रेड द बायोग्राफी ऑफ गोस्वामी तुलसीदास हुज रिटर्न रामचरित मानस एंड हुज रिटर्न गिवन आस हनुमान चालीसा i was reading his biography and i was stunned that he had exactly the same experience in ayodhya so goswami tulsidas ji lived in 17th century you know and he was born on the banks of yamuna far from ayodhya he was a big hanuman bhakt and he worshiped shri ram because shri hanuman worships shri ram so one day out of a whim he said uh, uh, let's go and see uh, ayodhya you know shri ram's ayodhya when he reached by that time babri masjid was built and the temple was destroyed so he had this shattering moment and he said i am going to do something that nobody will be able to forget the name of shri ram and that's when he went back and wrote ramcharitmanas and i had to a very different intensity and different times i had exactly the same emotion uh, and thankfully i read the biography much later otherwise i would have thought that i am imagining this reaction so uh, this was a one of the major turning points and then there's many smaller turning points at different temples that have happened okay uh, i have many tangential questions Mm-hmm. uh but i have to get something off my chest i remember when we had first spoken mm-hmm. uh we had discussed a little bit about tantra and the occult and that's what i originally thought of for our episode mm-hmm. um 
the thing is with people like yourself who have such wide subject matter i love talking about experiences much more because i actually think that does more justice to the conversation than me just asking you for like philosophy right uh would you like to share any of your slightly more out of the world experiences that you've had recently okay so as far as temples are con- concerned <clears throat> you know we keep hearing about the temple architecture and why the temple architecture is the way it is okay so i'll share two experiences with you which i've had at two very different temples so one is at a temple called kandariya mahadev temple in khajurao now khajurao most people go for erotica you know it's more popular with the foreigners than indians and most of us uh, you know fail to understand why so much of erotica is there but there is a temple called kandariya mahadev temple which is not a practicing temple at the moment but it's one of the most architecturally evolved temple it has you know kalash's recreation recreation of kalash parvat in a very very geometric very very uh, uh geometric progression way if you know mathematics so i was there uh, with my family in khajurao and early morning uh, all unesco world heritage sites open at sunrise so i thought i wanted to go there more from a photography perspective that i want to capture a good photograph so i went all by myself and i was walking around in that that is a complex of many many temples and when i reached this temple kandariya mahadev temple the first rays of sun were just falling on it and it was shimmering it almost felt that everything else is blanked out and this temple and i are the only people here and that temple was uh, it appeared like as if it's made in sandalwood instead of stone you know the color of sandstone doesn't look very different but when the sun rays fall on it it shimmers like anything and the resonance that you have with the structure that resonance happens sometimes within you so there is a rhythm that the temple has which then resonates with the, within you so there is a resonance that happens when you look at it visually something changes in you yes yes okay. yes just the visual of it just the visual of it but you can feel the waves of it you know that so the waves that then have a re- so re- how does resonance happen if you studied physics resonance happens when the so you we all have the sine waves you know so when your upper curve meets my upper curve that it raises the level of both if the frequency is the same same uh, yes. two waves collectively form a much larger much wave. larger wave so when that resonance happens with that rhythm that's when you feel something for that you have to be little tuned to that architecture you have to believe in it and you have to have some kind of a you uh, as they say you should be ready to receive you know you should be in an empty cup for be able to receive so as long as you are that so that's that was one experience which was like when i for the first time i felt that this architecture means more than just the aesthetics and the beauty that it shows on the outside a very similar experience at a very distant temple there's another temple called brihadeshwara temple which was built by raja raja chola in tanjore in tamil nadu one of the most beautiful most amazing temples shiva temples are practicing temple and some of the most beautiful paintings are there so all that you can appreciate it's a well document well written about temple so i went around spent a day there the moment i sent uh, sat in the nandi mandap so right outside the temple there's a beautiful nandi mandap huge nandi south indian temples have these huge nandis so when i sat exactly where nandi is and when you look inside the temple from there again the same resonance happens and i had tears in my eyes and you know 
I didn't know why I'm crying, but I was crying all through. And it stopped the moment I moved from there. So it was it was not the whole temple, but exactly that point from where Nandi can clearly see the shivaling. So these are some of the, I mean, I have many, many experiences in many, many temples, but these are some of the experiences which strengthened my belief that temples are far more than just a place of worship or just a place uh, which looks beautiful today. I mean, unfortunately, today we are treating most of our temples as monuments which are to be visited, you know, uh, clicked, make reels and shots out of. But if we can attain that synchronization with the temple, then it can do a lot more for you. Do you attain the synchronization through your own practice? It, for me, it happened on its own. I really didn't uh, do anything to make that happen. But I'm sure I was doing something right for that to happen because it doesn't happen to everybody all the time. Okay. There, there are millions of visitors that go there. So that usual sadhana or the puja that you do, I'm sure that is even, even being open to these experiences because I've seen most of the time people close themselves to these experiences that, oh, this is mambo jumbo. You know, so once you say it's mambo jumbo, then it behaves like a mambo jumbo. Mm. Okay. So the intention that you go with to a temple yes. will actually affect your experience. Yes. This is what I have felt as yes. well. Yes. 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 If you actually go with that slight amount of hope in your heart, or um, you know that feeling that something is going to happen there, then it ends up happening. Right. And you're able to gain more from it. Right. Also, the fact that you say that there is a energy which is much larger than me. Mm. You know, so uh, I usually talk when I talk about this, I say that the biggest difference between a Western thought and Eastern thought is that Western thought says individualistic. I have complete control over whatever I, I can control. I control my life or I can control my life. You know, that's why we keep blaming somebody. You know, if this person had behaved this way, if government have behaved this way, if this has happened, I can control it. While we say there is always a larger force which is controlling. So for example, um, we've been talking for two and a half years and this hasn't happened. This was a larger force acting on it to make it happen at a particular point in time. Maybe I was not ready for it. Maybe you were not ready for it. Maybe time was not ready for this conversation. Maybe Rajashi Nandi had not been on the show from back then. <laughs> right, right. So it, it there has to be, a there is a larger force for even the smallest of our deeds. Yes. You know, even if you are eating your breakfast late today, there is a larger force that's making it happen. So that that's the basic difference. So when you go to these sacred spaces, you know, so I would not say just temples, I would say any sacred site that you're visiting. When you visit them, unless you accept that this is a larger force, which is bigger than me and which ha can impact me or uh, in fact, you also end up impacting it. Uh, then you are kind of close to it. How do you end up impacting it? Okay. So let me ask you, what is a sacred site? Uh, such a wide answer I have. So it's definitely a place that a lot of humans go to, they collect there and they leave a part of their own energy in that uh, you spot. It. You answered it. So it's a, <clears throat> so what is a sacred site? It's a site which has raw energy. Hmm. Okay. And you go there to access that raw energy. Okay. And you also leave a part of your energy there. Now that raw energy. So let's take the example of electricity. 
If you and I are given a raw electricity, can we handle it? No, we can't handle. But we channelize that energy to give us light, to give us air, to give us heat, to give us cool. You know, we are just channelizing the same raw energy into through different instruments to give us different things. So sacred spots also have this raw energy and all the rituals that we do, all the invocations that we do, all the uh, pujas that we perform, those are the channelizing instruments to channelize it for a particular purpose. Most of us, an average person, most of us do not have the uh, uh, do not have the uh, capacity to handle that raw energy. That's why we need an intermediary. That's why we need rituals. That's why we need a lot of these uh, systems that are in place to give us as much access to that energy and channelize that energy for the purpose we need it. Which probably makes you think about skeptics and why even like their mental and emotional channels might be blocked to those energies. Because possibly in their own journey, which is very subjective and maybe later on it'll change fully. But maybe at the point they're at right now, their story is not ready to accept right. uh, whatever is going to come there. Right. It might or might not come later. It's That's true. So even, uh, so all of us have our personal journeys, you know. So some people come with a karma where they have evolved to a certain level and then they start from that point. So our karmas in a lifetime are like a balance sheet, like a... Uh, absolutely a business balance sheet you come with a opening balance you add your karmas plus minus plus minus and you close your life with a closing balance and that closing balance will de define your next life mm. right so that closing balance how much closing balance was i or opening balance in in life was i was born with or you were born with is different that explains child prodigies that explains people like shankracharya who did so much in a in at the age of 32 or swami vivekanand you know people who who did so much at such a so they came with the that opening a great opening balance of karma some of us may be very low on that so we have to build up that karma okay what's the most powerful temple you visited in india impossible to say because power of each temple is different it's very very different how uh, so see each devata exists for a particular purpose so devtas are manifestation of that one brahman that we call what's a brahman brahman is the that uh, that nirgun nirakar one oh, entity okay. brahman uh, what do you call it ekonkar or like god or like that's the that's the reality which we all will ultimately merge into and which is nirgun nirakar which cannot be defined in through our known parameters what was omnipresent all around us what we all are. So the okay. best way to define it is like we are all like a wave in the ocean. The wave forms and then it merges with the ocean. So ocean is that Brahman. Got it. Right. Okay. So uh, all the devatas are a manifestation of us. They are higher than us, but they are not unlimited. They are not infinite like the Brahman is. Brahman is the one which is infinite. What are their limitations? Uh, so every devata has a purpose. So that the traditional one which we say is that creation is Brahma, sustenance is Vishnu and you know, uh, dissolution, not destruction, but dissolution is Shiva. So every devata has a purpose. So if, uh, uh, for example, Kartike is a commander, you know, so they have a role in an energy. So, you know, those stories have been built to communicate their energy levels. So there are different devatas that you 
worship to for different energy uh, manifestations different purposes different purposes and that is why different so everybody has their own ishta devata that devata that naturally attracts you you feel attracted towards that is because your energy is in sync with that or the purpose you're living your life for hmm. will be fulfilled possibly through that devata yes that could be another way to look at it in different phases of your life there could be a different one depending can, on your purpose oh yes yes your ishta devata changes uh, can change over a period of time and i have had that experience do you want me to speak about it sure go ahead so i grew up with um, krishna being my best friend you know because my grandmother used to read gita we had these images of krishna in uh, you know, in our house uh, a lot of childhood episodes where i was so tied to krishna that he was my best friend and you can approach a devta through various swaroops you can approach a devta in a vatsalya form which means you treat him as your child you know so you see uh, people uh, laddu gopal the small uh, baby krishna um, uh, who worship they have this vatsalya they treat the krishna as their child then there is madhurya bhav where you treat him like your beloved there is um, uh, there is das bhav where you treat him as your master and you call yourself a servant or a das of the devata that's why a lot of people lot of poets put das behind their name and one of the bhavs is sakha bhav which you when you treat the god as your best friend and you just treat him like your best friend so you can say anything to him good bad ugly you know so if something didn't happen the way i wanted it to happen i'll say what can you not take care of this you know you call yourself the the god and can you not take care of this and if i'm happy i can say you know uh, this is you made it happen so he was my best friend for a longest time and then suddenly few years ago uh, the the devi started attracting me you know i devi just happened to me i became i started reading about devi i started uh, reading durga saptashati i started uh, uh reading lalita sahasranam i started uh, reading devi bhagavat purans and all the texts related with devi what are all these texts these are different scriptures related to devi so okay. durga saptashati is from markandeya puran um devi bhagavat puran is a puran in itself uh, lalita sahasranam is from brahmand puran so uh, all that started happening and when it was happening i actually had a question in my mind is it okay to shift am i doing right can i shift you know should i shift will i be um, will will krishna be unhappy with it and you won't believe how the answer came i happen to travel to kaladi which is the birthplace of adi shankaracharya in kerala and there i saw that his or his family deity and his family temple is krishna's and later he eventually became a devi upasak a few months later uh, or rather on the same trip i was visiting mata amrita nandamai's university for some seminar and i happened to visit her temples and i saw exactly the same transition she started with krishna and ended with kali you know and then later i read in the scriptures that krishna is actually an incarnation of kali mm. so uh, then i said okay fine you know uh, so these transitions if they have happened to so many people if it happens to me also then it's uh, you know it's kind of the universe answering you uh, answering your inner doubts so that's how it happened so yeah ishta devata can also change yeah. I want to know about the scriptures, the three that you named. Okay, I've heard people on the show speak about it, but I've never really deep dived into it. What What do you What do you gain 
by like reading scriptures firstly that's a general question and then specifics about these okay so uh, see scriptures are very very multi layered uh, multi layered uh, readings when you start reading you read them at a story level so i'll take example of durga saptashati sure. durga saptashati is a uh, uh, 700 verses uh, from markandeya puran which talks about dif- three different swaroops of devi there are three stories in that what is markandeya puran it's a puran there are 18 mahapuranas so it's one of the 18 mahapuranas what is a purana puran okay that's a you want me to answer a technical answer to that there's a technical answer what of, whatever you wish ma'am so uh, technical answer is that a puran is a so you know the shruti smriti texts no okay so indian scriptures can be broadly classified into two segments shruti texts and smriti texts okay so shruti texts are vedas and vedangas okay which are which are universal truths basically philosophies universal truths and then there are smriti texts which are smriti literally means memories so these are memories uh, they come in the story form they say more or less the same thing but puranas are far more simplified version of shruti texts okay so shruti smriti are two broad classifications of our text and in the smriti texts primarily there are 18 mahapuranas and many many puranas and uh, ramayana and mahabharat are our itihasa itihas is how it happened it, 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 it simply means this is how it happened so 18 mahapuranas one of them is markandeya purana who is markandeya markandeya was a rishi okay he was one of the great rishis okay uh, so i'll come back to the this because if we digress into uh, rishis then we'll go on another this thing no, that's the next segment <laughs> okay but go on so uh in durga sapshati is like 700 verses pretty much like uh, bhagavad gita in mahabharat it is a text which talks about three primary forms of devi which is mahakali mahalakshmi mahasaraswati which are different from kali lakshmi saraswati okay so it talks about these three through three stories how is it different uh i'll come to that so these three stories are in a conversation of three people so there is a rishi called medha rishi okay medha means intellect so there is a rishi by the name who lives in a jungle then there is a king called surat surat means somebody with a good body you know beautiful body he is a king who's lost his kingdom and there is a vaishya a trader a wealthy merchant by the name samadhi samadhi means samadhi so medha surat samadhi and they meet in a jungle uh, both uh, the merchant and the king have lost everything they have and they've come to the jungle and they have a lot of questions when you've lost everything you have a lot of questions they come with those questions to the rishi and in answer to their questions the rishi tells them these three stories of the devi in the first one she is in the mahakali swarup uh, that's the story of killing of madhu and ketab asuras there are two uh, asuras you know i don't want to use the word demons they are asuras so it's the killing of madhu and ketab by vishnu but uh, facilitated by devi in her mahakali avatar the second story is the killing of mahishasur in the devi's mahalakshmi avatar and the third is the story of killing of shumbh and nishumbh rakshas uh, in her mahasaraswati form so these are three segments and they are 
they represent three gunas they represent three different uh, triads of in in many many ways so at a base level when you start it's just a story of killing of three sets of asuras when you start diving into it 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 reveals a lot of things for example it reveals you your inner demons your inner asuras you know so like uh, the first story will point you to your tamas your laziness your uh inaction uh, you know all the tamasic pravrittis that we have inside the second one is rajas you know where in action you have too active sometimes too much of rajas becomes a problem in fact we have lot of um tirthas which are called viraja there is a viraja devi uh, she is in um, in a place called jajpur in odisha tirtha is like temple tirtha is more than a temple it's a it's a sacred space a part of a geographical location it can be a geographical location i can talk about the what are tirthas <laughs> in a, i can do a complete podcast on what is a tirtha this is going to be a long conversation today but yeah, let's go yeah. on so i was talking about that there viraja means raj rajas is too much then you become when you get rid of that raj then the third part of that durga sapshati is about uh, uh, things which are uh, which we typically called shad repus the six enemies that we have inside like envy um greed uh, you know the six of those uh, uh, how do you fight them and then of course if you go much much deeper it will reveal you a lot of cosmic stuff uh, the cosmic so i am also still learning it uh, reading it learning it uh, i conduct a workshop on it every navratri uh, a free workshop for the as an introduction to this text on anybody who wants to get initiated not initiated as in a formal initiation but on in reading and understanding it but initiated into what into reading i want people to read uh, original uh, scriptures i want because uh, there are there are lot of uh, authors writing interpretations of this but they'll always be their interpretations uh, direct uh, you know dictated by their circumstances their this thing and also sometimes by the commercial uh, uh, reasons for some reason we have started believing that our scriptures are something very distant that we cannot read and in last 7 8 years that i have read i mean i get up in the morning i i spend one one, one and a half to two hours reading scriptures in original sanskrit with hindi i have found there's so much meaning and there's so much learning when you read them in original uh which you will never get in a commentary never in an english commentary because the words are not there uh you know the amount of word uh, the amount of meaning the words carry in indian languages and you can read any indian languages because indian languages are not very different from each other they they look very different but they are not really and i'll give you an example of how um what comes to your mind when i say haldi turmeric what else milk okay uh food okay yellow yellow and you also think of a haldi ceremony yeah you know you think of that haldi doodh that your mother gives when you are you know are you putting a haldi on it it gives a sense of auspiciousness anything because at least in maharashtra you have ceremonies like haldi kumkum you know you, if you you know if you've not performed you've heard of them hmm. but would you get the same if i say turmeric you probably won't get that auspicious then it will be like a spice in your kitchen cabinet 
so lot of cultural connotations are lost when you read them in a language which is not indian you saying because the sound of the words affects no there, there there are a lot of cultural nuances associated with that okay the cultural connotations associated with that even in our cultural consciousness that we've inherited we know that you know if 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 somebody says haldi ke liye aana you would know that it is for a auspicious purpose and not to uh, not to uh, not a spice in the kitchen hmm okay Fair. kind of thing so lot of these things are lost and we have multiple words i mean the amount of words we have for fire for agni for jal for clouds uh, for every stage of cloud how many types of uh, fire have we learned about how many types of fire have we learned about in our, different types of fire Yeah so for example there's a normal fire that we'll light there's a fire in the water what there's a fire in the water what is lightning where does lightning come from it's it comes from water right it comes from uh uh clouds there's fire in your tummy there's a belly jatharagni which digests all your food and i'm talking about few that i know of i mean i don't remember all of them uh similarly water there are different kinds of water it talks about you know so you have words like tushar which is which essentially means the water that you get from snow there's water that you get from uh, sand there's water that you get from different and we have different so a lot of those nuances are lost when you don't read the original it's probably the outcomes of a slightly longer existing culture hmm. when culture when human culture just exists for that long you figure out these nuances about the real world yes okay i want to bring you back to that durga saptashati okay we actually had yami gautam on the show yeah she said that she reads it regularly right and i've heard of the durga saptashati but i never understood why one needs to read it regularly like how does that affect you so that depends on uh, how you want to read it so you have hanuman chalisa some of us read it every day some of us read it when we are frightened of something some of us read it on tuesdays some of us read it uh, when asked to read by an astrologer so that depends on you so i personally read it every navratri and there is a uh, there is a 9 day or 7 day parayan that you can do it and it it's you have to read it strictly as per that you know so day 1 you read this day 2 you read this day 3 or you read it all in one go which takes a lot of energy so a uh, lot of pandits do that because they are used to reading it in one go i find it a little difficult um, because sanskrit chanting takes a lot of strength um but uh, it it depends on every day if somebody is reading it that's the level at which they are connecting with that energy sanskrit chanting takes a lot of strength means it, you when you chant loudly you need lot of energy to chant okay yeah is it recommended to chant loudly when it comes to mantras so they can be chanted at multiple levels one is uh, when you chant uh, the regular vaikhari chant that we call it which means you are you are vani se chant kar rahe you with your voice you are chanting there is something called upanishu chant which is when you are chanting but only your lips are moving so for example if i so i'm mm. chanting some mantra you can't hear but my head can hear and my lips are moving that's one then there is com- completely mental which you just manas uh, uh, manas jap so which you do internally so there are different levels and i think there's one where the mantra chants you that's called ajapa jap yeah what happens there 
so the mantra will will keep ringing in your head and uh, uh, if you attain that then you've really uh, you really connect to that energy i've i've had that experience at couple of places where you go to a particular deity's um, temple and the chant of his of uh, that De- devata's mantra will happen in your head on well, its own you don't you, you can hear it yes it's actually called pashyanti i mean you can see it you can't hear it uh, in your head you actually see so if i ask you to close your eyes and think of a song or anything you will actually see it and not hear it hmm so you actually but it dominates your head so that is all you will hear okay this is a mystical experience you could can you could say yeah okay could say speaking of the mystical experiences you said that the saptashati reveals cosmic truths yeah what does so, that mean so <clears throat> so there is this concept called yatha pinde tatha brahmande or yatha brahmande tatha which means whatever is happening in the cosmic thing is repeating at different levels you know there's this typical triangle that we draw and then you have within triangles 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 and each triangle is complete in itself so uh whatever happens in the cosmic at the cosmic level is also happening at our level is also happening at a microcosm level which means inside you also there are lot of universes which are also undergoing the same thing and uh, just to put it very lightly uh, imagine a bacteria in your gut which lives for let's say half an hour mm. right now if that bacteria thinks of you as brahma look at the lifetime ratio between the like if we take a ratio between the lifetime of this uh, bacteria and your lifetime it will roughly work out to be what we think is the ratio of ratio between our lifetime and our brahma's lifetime so we could be a bacteria in the stomach of brahma it could be anything yeah it could a be cell. million thing very yeah okay we are somewhere it, it's exactly like this. so if you look at how time is defined in india it is defined in terms of brahma's life and uh, and then the exact calculations there on so uh, yeah so you know everything is cyclic so you have different cycles of creation and destruction so you have a larger universe that is created within that there are smaller universes which are getting created and destruct dissolve dissolved not destructed but dissolved back so something is created and then it goes back at different times different cycles you know think of different concentric circles so first level we connect is at the level at which we exist our existence level that's why we see them as uh, we we see our devatas in human uh, form you know we portray them in human form the next level could be either microcosm which we call it sukshma sharira or macrocosm which is the bigger cosmic uh, Uh, you know purush we call it purush and parikriti it can be shiva and shakti you can give different names to them so different levels is what you start you you can start connecting with those different levels after you are done uh, understanding this level okay uh if you tell me about the difference between mahalakshmi and lakshmi versus ma saraswati and so yeah so as per durga sapshati in the end of it there are it has a section where it explains creation okay so as per this text there is an adi shakti which is mahalakshmi what is adi shakti the adi is initial the first one okay. adi means the first one so that's the primary shakti which is mahalakshmi 
and then when she wants to create this world she divides herself into three parts which is maha saraswati maha lakshmi and maha kali so maha kali has tamas maha lakshmi has rajas but she has all the three because she is the primary uh, force and then maha saraswati has sattva dominant so any creation will have all these three gunas but uh, there is a dominant force in all of us you know when you meet people also you find some of them are very sattvic in nature it's not that they don't have tamas and rajas but that's dominant so these three she creates and from there she creates shiva parvati vishnu lakshmi uh, and uh, brahma and saraswati and then they are intermingled that's how the gunas intermingle and the whole world is created so we are i mean from that perspective we are all a uh, some permutation combination of these three gunas okay so the what mahalakshmi created was these three adi shaktis mahalakshmi mahasaraswati mahakali and from there came these three couples who intermingled and then created the whole universe okay i know that Shaivism, Vaishnavism, and Shakt has like three different versions of the yes, origins. Yes, yes, yes. This yes. is probably the Shakti. This is the Shakti version, and uh, they have all three parallel of this. And it doesn't matter because when you define that Adi Shakti, whether you, whichever sect you follow, that's actually Nirgun Nirakar. It doesn't have a shape and a form, and a, you can't define it with any attribute. You can only define what they create from uh, from that is. Uh, can be defined with some attributes the ultimate thing doesn't have any attribute so we don't know what it is or we can't define i see a lot of girls around me around my age who are now being drawn to studying about devi studying about shakti i don't see too many guys honestly doing mm-hmm. that i wonder why that is so tell me the girl perspective we women have lot of inner shakti which in today's time i think we've forgotten about it and we are not tapping into it in fact the whole victim mindset that i see that we keep asking for give me this give me that give me this i want women to get into a state where they take the empowering seat and that's exactly where we were you know as devi and in in fact in durga sapshati at one place devi says i am every woman i you know i am the present in every woman and that's why we had this tradition of women worship and when i say worship it doesn't mean a worship like this but you know having a genuine respect for the inner shakti of a woman so i definitely want women to connect with that inner shakti and operate from there where you say i am the one who empower this universe or this or my own universe to uh, manifest whatever i want to manifest and that's the role most women had traditionally now we are just fighting for very very small mundane things like i want a job i want money i want this i want reservation I and mean, all that will happen if you in connect with your inner shakti you become the one who's empowering you and that is what these texts help you connect in a way okay but what does that mean what does it mean to connect with your inner shakti and how to realize that so it see we all have the inner power if we channelize our own power we can do anything that we want to do what do you think the achievers do in their life are the achievers really uh, really very different from other average people not really they are able to channelize their energy and focus it on what they want to achieve and that's one in fact that uh, i'm taking you on a tangent but uh, kabir das has a very beautiful doha he says um 
आई एम फर्गेटिंग दैट कबीर मन निर्मल भया जैसे गंगा नीर पाछे पाछे हर फिरत कहत कबीर कबीर ही सेज ऑल यू हैव टू डू इट क्लीन योर सेल्फ क्लीन योर सेल्फ लाइक द वॉटर्स ऑफ गंगा सो गंगा का पानी का द मेन फीचर वॉज दैट इट इट हैड सेल्फ क्लेंसिंग प्रॉपर्टीज यू नो इट क्लीन्स इट सेल्फ दैट्स वॉट गंगा वॉटर वॉज नोन फॉर दैट्स वाई इट्स कंसिडर्ड प्योर एंड इट हैज़ बीन साइंटिफिकली टेस्टेड दैट इट हैड द पार टू प्योरीफाई इट सेल्फ सो ही कबीर सेज जस्ट लाइक गंगा वॉटर्स इफ यू कैन क्लीन योर हार्ट एंड माइंड the world will run after you uh, taking your name you know and let me give you a practical example of it let's take the biggest achievers of our times uh, let's say lata mangeshkar you know or let's say sachin tendulkar what did they do they just kept improving their own craft did they any did they do anything other than that not really they just worked hard on their craft they improved their craft to such a level that the world was running after them so the more more you keep cleansing yourself the world will come to you it will come run after you so that's one of the ways so that's how you also channelize your inner shakti in on you focus on one thing that you or whichever any things that you want to achieve and that tapping into your own energy is something that for me these texts have helped me or at least they give you show you the path to help okay you know you can even use it in your day to day corporate business life you know so for example in durga sapshati itself uh, at one place the devi takes the shape the the shape to kill mahishasur by collecting energies of all the devatas she takes energy of all possible devatas weapons of all possible devatas to manifest into a form that can kill mahishasur at one place she divides herself into different shaktis to kill people like shambhanishumb and their um, commanders uh, so it gives you practical lessons that there are times when you need to pull in all your resources and fight with uh, an enemy and there uh, there are times then you delegate there are times when you just enable somebody to do you you don't do things yourself but you enable somebody to do that for you so there are, you can draw lessons from at every level yeah uh at least I'll, for me mm-hmm. the perspective of a guy studying more about devi and shakti is that you become less masculine in the right ways okay as in you maintain your masculinity but you know exactly where to draw the line because you learn the feminine aspects of life also at least that's what i have gained from it uh compassion uh endurance uh at least that's what it is for me i don't know if i agree with you uh, but the fiercest battles in our scriptures were fought by devi the most fierce battles were fought by devi and most uh the most fierce asuras were killed by her uh i'll tell you a very interesting uh, uh observation from my travels you know so uh, when you travel to these old forts uh which are abandoned uh, which are lying in ruins you'll typically see there is a devi temple which is still practicing it may be in a very small shape and form but it is still being practiced and all the warriors all the kshatriyas they used to worship devi before they went to the war they may have been worshiping anybody else but before going to the war they always worshiped devi and devi temples continue to live there 
very interestingly i was in kapil vastu in nepal uh which is the place of buddha's father from where his father ruled and their fort and palace is of course there's nothing left of that there are markers saying that this is the fort and there is a temple of a devi called samay devi there where uh, elephants are offered you know you so you'll see small little elephants to big elephants being offered there what do you mean offered uh, the uh, the oh okay okay yeah not the real elephants the okay. uh, elephant murtis all right all are right. are offered there and uh, that is the only thing that continues to live even after let's say 2600 years at least that's how we date buddha so uh, so that's the spirit of devi that lives on yeah uh, i think what i meant to say was that at least this is a philosophy that i follow for my own life which is that every man has to become slightly more feminine and every woman has to become slightly more masculine mm-hmm. through the course of life uh there are masculine traits there are feminine traits you have to just be very aware of what's happening in your head and heart and try balancing out your inner world which is kind of a repeated lesson i've had through the show as well uh so for me i know i was extremely almost in a lopsided way too masculine mm. where i had to develop the sense of compassion humility uh endurance uh creativity which for me at least i look at it as feminine traits which got uh accelerated through this process of learning much more about shakti i don't know it was just an outcome that i experienced okay so i think uh whatever uh, whatever you are born as you know uh, whether it's your nationality whether it's your religion whether the place you are born in uh the gender you are born in i think we should respect that and uh, be true to that you know and i trying to in fact i today i feel we women uh, in last at least 20 25 years we women have actually given up lot of feminine feministic traits or uh feminine traits we've given up and we are trying to be too masculine the way we dress up the way we uh behave the way we trying to compete because we are trying to compete with men at a lot of level so we at the cost of that is giving up our own femininity uh, in lot of places so i uh, uh, as much as i understand at this point in time and it may change i mean my views and everything keeps changing at this point in time i think whatever you are born as that uh, you uh, you must respect that and live uh live that in the true sense if you're born as a man so think what is your responsibility as a man and are you uh, you know taking care of that compassion and all this i think is common to humanity i mean we all need to be uh, compassionate but again you know can you force yourself force yourself to be compassionate i don't think so you know it comes uh, 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 it comes naturally to most of us and i think we are working towards being non compassionate being compassionate is your natural state uh being loving being uh, you know uh, being all the things that we want the world to be they are our natural states the way we are living our lives we are actually pulling ourselves away from that mm okay uh you know everything you're saying i feel is an outcome of some scriptural studying hmm. and we've just spoken about the durga saptashati but what other scriptures have you like deep dived into um so i have i started with ramayan so i have written a book called how to read indian scriptures uh just to remove some of the common mental blocks that we have about reading 
Indian scriptures like do I need to know Sanskrit do I need a guru can I read it on my own uh, is it readable what should I take away kind of things so I started my personal journey started with Ram Charit Manas okay, can you also answer all those questions I will okay. I will one by one so my personal journey started with Ram Charit Manas uh, which is written in Avadhi which is not a Sanskrit text and uh, the version I have is a huge uh, A4 size book, uh, 1100 pages. And I also had exactly the same questions. Can I ever read it, finish it? Uh, so I said, okay, uh, even if I read one page a day, that means I'll take about three years to finish it. Let me try. I'll read one page a day uh, and I will finish it in three years. And if I give on my travels, I will probably take three and a half, four years. And I said, okay, I, every morning I'll get up and read one page. But I, with all my travels, and that time I used to travel quite a bit, I finished it in about six months. And I used to study and share whatever I'm reading, some tidbits on Twitter, some, some tidbits here. And then I started picking up different texts. Uh, uh, I, I read Devi Bhagavad Puran, I read Brahmand Puran, uh, Durga Sapshati. And I keep noting down things which... In which I think my audience can take, I share on Twitter. So this is my personal journey of reading scriptures. Now coming back to the question, uh, do I need Sanskrit? If you know Sanskrit, there's nothing like it because the language itself contains uh, so many nuances. So for example, mm, uh, uh, if I asked you why were you named Ranveer, uh, do you have an answer? A sexy man name. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah, know. that's okay. That's uh, okay. Um, uh, I, one, it sounds good as a name. Hmm. Uh, two, according to probably my birth time. Okay. The first letter was uh, Ra. Okay. Uh, and third, I think my parents liked it. Yeah. Yeah. So when I asked my parents why did you name me so, they said we, one we wanted a name with A, and second we this, it sounded nice, you know. And mm. most of us get named like this for random reasons. I'm reading Mahabharat, and there are thousands of character in Mahabharat. Not one is named randomly. Not one is named randomly. All of them, and all of them have multiple names, and they come from their different traits. You know, that's how we have Sahasranamas. You know, thousand names of deities. Not one of them is named. So even if you know the name of a person, you know the half the story. So for example, there is a character named Shalya. Now, if you know the basic characters of Mahabharata, there are five Pandavas and the younger Pandavas are Nakul and Sahadev. And their mama, who comes from the country of Madhradesh, which will be roughly Punjab of today, uh, his name is Shalya. Now, I didn't know why he's named Shalya. But then you realize, as you read the story, you realize that he was, though he was the mama of Pandavas, he was fighting from the side of Duryodhan. And his role was to uh, say, uh, Shalya comes from Shul, which is Thorn. So he used to say such bitter words to Karna to bring down his morale that his biggest weapon was his tongue. The shul-like tongue, the 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 thorn-like tongue that kept pricking Karna while being his sarathi, and that's how his name comes as Shalya. So half the story and half of their roles in the story, you know, if you know the names. So coming back to the question, do I need to know Sanskrit? It'll be perfect if you know Sanskrit. But most of us have not learned Sanskrit, and my experience is I'm a Hindi speaker. I mean, I speak Hindi. 
इफ यू नो एनी वन इंडियन लैंग्वेज देन यू नो हाफ द संस्कृत वोकेबलरी एटलीस्ट नॉट ग्रामर बट वोकेबलरी सो इफ यू स्टार्ट रीडिंग इट एंड संस्कृत इज नॉट अ लैंग्वेज दैट यू मस्ट लर्न आई मीन इफ इफ एवरीबडी वॉज स्पीकिंग संस्कृत अराउंड अस वी वुड हैव पिक्ड इट अप नैचुरली लाइक द लैंग्वेज इज वी स्पीक मोस्ट ऑफ अस हैव पिक्ड अप इंग्लिश लेट इन लाइफ बिकॉज आर life needed it so if we can pick up a language as foreign as english then we can definitely pick up sanskrit so i would say take a uh, a book which has sanskrit plus the indian language that you speak for indian language speakers and read it if you don't read uh, any indian language then use english translations and try to learn the vocabulary on the go so that's my answer i mean you cannot wait so it's like Uh, i'll take a metaphor from the travel world you know are you going to wait for the world to adjust uh, be safe be nice to you or are you going to go out and explore and adjust so i would take an approach that i want to explore so i am going to adjust myself and go and explore the world rather than wait for the world to adjust to you so same approach you take for sanskrit that am i going to wait i mean if you are really serious then go learn sanskrit first and then start reading that's also an option and today there are million options online to learn sanskrit but if you can't do just start from somewhere you know like they say the journey of a thousand steps starts from first step uh, just start and you'll reach somewhere so that's on sanskrit second do i need a guru now a lot of people online uh, they keep saying you can't read without gurus but what do you do if you don't have a guru you know if you have a guru please follow your guru if you don't have a guru you will find guru through these you will find a guru who will direct you i mean it may not be a physical guru it may be the deity may become a guru uh the way devi has been holding my hand and taking me places it you will find a direction somewhere so that's my answer again the same thing are you going to wait till a guru appears or are you going to take the first steps and enable the guru to reach out to you and help you go further so my approach is you start and then the rest will follow uh then the next question that lot of people have is where do i start there are so many we have a whole library of scriptures so where do you start so i always say start with ramayana because it's the easiest one you know the basic story but although when you read the book you will know that the story is just a veneer to give you lot of lessons lot of philosophies lot of lessons everything story is just a veneer to do but you should read it for the literary genius so for example uh, in ramcharitmanas when you have the story where bharat goes to meet shri ram in the forest in chitrakoot you know that shri ram is not going to come back he's going to go to the forest but the evocative nature of that writing that poetic writing is so strong that you are simply wishing i hope he comes back when you know it's not going to happen you know the story very well so that kind of literary genius if some of us can get even an iota of that i think we will change the world okay okay so uh that is so where do you start my recommendation is if you've not read anything start with ramayana because it's easy but start whatever fascinates you so if you are a shiva bhakt shiva start with shiva puran if you are a vishnu bhakt start with vishnu puran if you are a devi bhakt start with devi puran you can start anywhere so it's like a worldwide web you know mm-hmm. indian scriptures are absolutely like worldwide web you start with one wikipedia page or one page and then you keep clicking links and you keep going wherever you but want to go your recommendation is don't read it in english 
if you know one indian language then no if read. you don't know anything then then go with english like rather read it in hindi or tamil or something yes 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 because the shared vocabulary is very uh, strong okay so shared vocabulary of uh, uh, of uh, sanskrit and hindi or sanskrit and marathi sanskrit and kannada sanskrit and telugu is every language is a different subset of sanskrit but they all have a have a shared vocabulary okay uh <laughs> are there any authors who write at least for hindi lots of them hindi, so hindi. you just find like what what authors do you recommend so for scriptures go to geeta press geeta press has the whole library geeta geeta press chokhamba there are publishers who are primarily based in places like varanasi who publish in hindi so varanasi prayagraj uh, lucknow even uh, uh, lot of bihar has lot of publishers who who have scriptures in hindi and in fact most of them are downloadable for from places like archive because they are copyright free yeah you know in a generation that barely reads hmm. i think a lot of people will think that why can't i gain the same stuff through a conversation or a podcast that'll be great do one on a series of scriptures and uh, it'll be great but can you gain what Uh, you would gain uh, of course you can gain because these these all these scriptures were originally transmitted orally and podcast is a oral medium so you are essentially going back to the original mode of trans uh, you know uh, transferring knowledge okay. so yes okay now let's transfer knowledge now sure what uh, scripture has affected your life beyond the ramayana and mahabharat uh, i'm sure there would have been something that would have created a lot of shifts for you so devi texts uh, okay. both lalita sahasranam which is a which is a concise form of lalita upakhyan in brahmand puran as well as the durga saptashati they have uh, uh, i connect with both of them a lot strongly okay what did the second one give you that the durga sahasra Uh, so there are two different stories of devi so lalita sahasranam is a story of devi killing a asura called bhandasur okay so there are lot of back stories you know indian stories are never linear and uh, simple so there are lot of back stories but essentially story of that and it also talks about the uh, like i told you the cosmic forms and the smaller the microcosmic forms of devi so how devi exists within your body how she exists within you know and the different layers so it's uh, you know what a sahasranama is sahasranama means thousand names sahasra is thousand and nam is names so thousand names of lalita tripura sundari and their sahasranamas exist for different deities almost all deities and what they do is they give you the story of that deity in a very very concise form so the whole episode of let's say wakiling of one um, asur may be reduced to one word or one phrase or one shloka or four shlokas so this is a concise form of the story of a deity and this is exactly what is usually sculpted on the walls of the temples as well okay these are also technically chants yes they are so they, they are mantras like the the mantra is embedded into the story so story yes yes you could say or that vice versa. or vice versa embedded into the yeah. so if you actually chant these things it will have the same effects that a mantra has on your body they are, and mind. yes 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 like you're probably connecting to that deity's yes, energy much yes, more deeply yes yes they are all mantras okay um i want to talk a little bit about the forest groves you spoke about where are forest grove tithas <clears throat> they are everywhere in every forest in india 
everywhere they were so i but i'll talk about one which is little more commonly known so every puran like i said every puran is was orally transmitted so there was these groups of uh, rishis who would sit in a forest and discuss or talk about this so one rishi would sit with lot of people and there will be a conversation so all our scriptures are in the form of a conversation so another pointer <laughs> to your podcast you know so you are also getting it in the form of conversation i can talk about why conversation also i've covered that in my book the most of these scriptures were written in the form that we are written or transmitted in the form in a forest called namish aranya which is right now about 90 kilometers from um, lucknow it's in uh, uh, uttar pradesh on the banks of gomati river and there it said the uh, all the rishis used to sit and discuss this talk about this so all the conversation in most of the purans they say uh, once upon a time in the forest of namisharanya sunak asked suta this question and then the conversation starts you know question answer how this happened how that happened um so uh so that's the most important then of course we know dandakaranya which which is where shri ram traveled during his forest um mahabharat has a complete one parva it's a huge uh, section of mahabharat which talks about all the forests as in when the pandavas went around india yes yes okay yes and they went to different forests and like yes. had different stories because there. they had to stay in a forest for 12 years they went to all the forests have you been to any of these namisharanya i have been to but most of them don't look like groves anymore they are like any they we've constructed concretized most of those places uh, but i've been to namisharanya uh, i have been to some of the sacred groves uh, in different parts but they don't look anything like the description anymore what do you feel there it's a sacred it's in this pure, pure sheer nature okay pure nature if you uh, you know some of the forests which i've gone more as a jungle safari experience yeah. or walking safari experience that is where you know nothing is changed so people don't even pick up a, a a branch that has fallen so it is exactly how nature wants to fall or grow or whatever so nothing is planted and nothing is taken from the forest that's what it is so you let the nature take its own course I mean I would argue that these national parks that I've also visited in my own life I feel that's the closest thing to god that I've seen because it's how god uh, willed the earth to be which is w- what makes me curious about these tirthas in forests that how much more close to god can you be through nature I wonder what it was So essentially it all comes back to nature so purush and prakriti is what we talk about you know prakriti is also nature Okay. so essentially so today let's say we go when we go to tirthasthala so in fact um, the ghats of banaras that we see today they were originally called anandvan it was the anandvan of shiva so it was actually a forest so original kashi was somewhere around the northern ghats um, the the current day northern ghats and the south part where we now go and see this was originally all a one it was called anandvan mm okay but it's still a tirth because of the geographical location yeah 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 and yeah, the yeah. river yeah 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 okay all right i'm this is the first time i've heard this on the show which is why i'm asking you all these noob questions um okay the other question i have for you is about ancient cave temples um 
in my research for this episode that's what came up and i've not heard people talk about that either on the show uh where do you find ancient cave temples in india all over really <laughs> yeah i mean like like the mahakali caves here in mumbai does that count it should count yeah it should count uh, yeah so i i have not visited that so i okay. don't know but you find all your ajanta caves oh okay all okay. your badami caves or you know bag caves and then you have little known ones these are better known ones but there are uh, elephanta caves right here so they are all cave temples okay. those i know i mm. mean in terms of i assume that a cave temple is something from prehistory so they are all they must have uh, yeah so they even elephanta caves and ajanta caves they are at least 2000 years old so they are also ancient in that way but you'll typically find lot of shiva temples in caves like amarnath amarnath temple is in a cave okay uh, you go to a place called marleshwar somewhere in um, konkan region of maharashtra you'll find marleshwar caves lot of shiva temples you find on top of mountains inside a cave uh so yes uh, and they are all uh, cave temples okay. in a way so have you, you have you been to tantric temples at all so i have been to but i don't know what your question is so i have been to yeah okay what but was... i haven't seen any bali the only place i have seen i have actually seen um uh, those animals who are ready for bali is kamakhya temple uh which where they are performed but i haven't either participated in or seen or i'm not interested in my path is more satvik okay yeah. fair <laughs> fair um yeah. because I... for that path you need a you definitely need a initiation and you definitely need somebody holding your hand and taking you there and first of all you have to have the intention to be there so i am very happy with my um satvik path i feel like a lot of listeners online today have the intention to be on a bit of a tantric path why do you think that is i think it's a curiosity more than an intention more see intention will happen when you know the path when you know what it entails so for example i've been to lot of uh, chonsati yogini uh, temples what's a chonsati yogini temple 64 yogini temples chonsati is 64 64 yogini temples are these circular temples which are very unique you find in the central belt of india you find them some of them in uh, in uh, there's one close to bhuvaneshwar in odisha some in Bhuv- Uh, odisha some in mp chatisgarh this belt central belt of india you find it and they are uh, they are tantric temples um, most of them are not practicing they are destroyed and yogini images are all over in museums all over the world uh, there's one in khajuraho as well one in morena uh, near gwalior so those temples are clearly tantric temples and uh, so they have bhairavas they have yoginis uh, which are the uh, which are the which are forms of devis uh, or the or the, the yoginis that serve the devi so i have been there but they are most of them are not practicing temples okay uh, or even if they are practiced somewhere sometime it happens in uh, secrecy i i haven't seen any practice there but why do you say that they're definitely tantric temples because of the deities in because of the deities and the unusual shape uh they, those temples are uh, open uh, they have open roof they have no roof over them they are circular and that 64 or some places 81 uh yoginis are in that and each yogini has a different name and a different vehicle and a different uh, uh purpose you know and uh, so uh, you find all kinds of yoginis i mean uh, if you are interested you can read a book by dr vidya dehejia on yoginis it's available on archive and uh, it will tell you the difference between them but those are 
those are absolutely and they are not very common one those temples are not common they are usually found outside uh, the main city habitation area and they were followed by the sect that follows tantric uh, traditions okay the sect that follows tantric traditions yeah i would assume tantric traditions are much more widespread than just being a sect so in tantra also there is something called uh, you know the uh, the vampanth and dakshinachar so the the ones that that you find uh, exciting today is is <laughs> the vamachar so the dakshinachar is as simple as uh, any other form of worship okay uh what would you like the government of india to do for your field of work which is related to spiritual tourism okay that's a whole topic in itself <laughs> so i i i find spiritual tourism as an oxymoron okay uh so there is pilgrimage and there is tourism both of them uh, on the face of it looks like the same thing because it involves travel it involves going to another place living there coming back but the purposes are diametrically opposite in a tirtha when you go if you follow the scriptures or the guidance you're going to discover yourself you're going to recharge yourself you're going to uh, uh advance spiritually and you, so you need to follow certain things and what are those certain things you follow some vratas you follow brahmacharya you follow uh, satvik diets you you practice mauna which is silence you practice a uh, lot of things you know depending on the tirtha you 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 kind of go inwards you prepare your body mind and soul to visit that place to exactly. maximize what you can gain exactly. from that place exactly exactly and that involves what uh, in sanskrit we would say uh, indriya nigraha which means uh, taking your senses inwards and not engaging them right basically basically you are controlling your senses to stay inwards stay focused and then travel okay uh couple of pilgrimages that still follow it is sabrimala yatra where the people take 45 days avrat uh, to visit uh, vari pilgrimage uh, in maharashtra they follow the same thing i don't know if rest of them still follow what do we do in tourism we let go of our senses we engage in heightened experiences of our senses you eat a lot you experiment with eating you experiment with experiences you let go of your senses so they are diametrically opposite in purpose mm. so for me spiritual tourism is either converting your sacred spots into tourist spots and telling people that you can go and engage in uh, uh, sensory experiences there or you know you are kind of taking away the energy of those sacred spots mm. you are uh limiting their energy you're limiting what you can gain from it yes yes so to me i think uh they need to be two different places can you party and meditate at the same place even in your home you don't do that you have a place to meditate and you have a place you don't typically party in that corner of your house so how can the spiritually charged places be a party place you know so to to me there are two different things so i really want government to recognize that pilgrims needs are different they don't need five star hotels in a pilgrimage place because you are, yes you need comfortable clean living places 
but you are not there to do swimming you are not there to do to engage in culinary delights you are not there you, you, there's a purpose to your spiritual growth so i hope we don't convert all our sacred spots and at some point in time whole of india used to be a sacred geography now we have you know small pockets which are sacred i hope we maintain the sanctity of them okay i personally feel it's only going to happen through media and conversations like this if these narratives are out there it will reach the government of india yes okay ag ma'am <laughs> thank you for a fantastic conversation uh spoken with you for a bit today uh again i feel with people like you the knowledge set is so wide that uh, there's a bunch of conversations and i probably need a break just to study and then come back to you so thank you ma'am appreciate it appreciate all the knowledge thank you so that was the episode ladies and gentlemen this is one of my favorite genres to keep bringing back on trs so please send in your guest recommendations i'm always happy to cover the stories of researchers and authors who've dedicated their life to this subject but all i need is recommendations from you the audience trs will be back very soon